Good morning. It is Kale and Company for a Tuesday. Yes, indeed, it is a Tuesday. Hope everyone had a terrific Labor Day weekend. Back to work today, back to school. And our first guest of the week on this portion of Kale and Company is the president and general counsel of the Child and Parental Rights Campaign, Vernadette Broyles Esquire. And uh, Vernadette, we welcome you to the program. Great to have you with us. No, it's great to be with you, Ken. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, where, where are we? Uh, where, where are you this morning? Well, I am right outside of Atlanta. We have a national office. So we have two attorneys in the state of Georgia. We have attorney in uh, Virginia. We work with local counsel in several states around the country. And our paralegal is in Louisiana. And uh, so we just uh, we're we're from all over the place. Outstanding. Well, we have you on the show today because the United States Department of Education intends to expand Title IX to include a sexual orientation and a gender identity. And there are, I'm sure, many in our audience who are familiar with uh, Title IX. It's been with us now for, what, uh, about 50 years? That's right. But uh, give us just a brief synopsis uh, of what Title IX is and where the U.S. Department of Education would like to take Title IX. Well, as you know, Ken, Title IX was passed as part of our civil rights legislation back in 1972, and most people equate it probably with sports, but in truth, Title IX infuses all of education, and the, the purpose was to end uh, discrimination on the basis of sex in, in any educational program, any aspect of, of our educational life. And the, the goal would, was to originally was to ensure that, in particular, girls and women would have equal access to all the various di- different educational programs and facilities throughout our schools, as well as in sports. And um, so it has brought tremendous progress over the last 50 years. But now where the Biden administration wants to take it is to add on to that basic provision now sexual orientation and gender identity. And what's very telling... Ken is that they they're trying to do it outside of the the appropriate the proper constitutional process. They're they're going around Congress, our elected representatives, in order to bring out this massive massive change to this legislation uh, legislation, and they're doing it by agency rulemaking. So what this would do if they if they are successful in implementing this is that it will, it will import the basic tenets of gender identity ideology into all of our schools. It will require that, that school officials, teachers, immediately and unquestioningly affirm an imagined identity that any student asserts under any circumstances. And that's without requiring any medical professionals involved, and most importantly, without requiring any notice to or consent of parents. So what, we, what we're going to be seeing is that schools would be transitioning children, facilitating this, without any requirement that their parents be involved. And we're already seeing this happening in schools across the country. We have several different lawsuits exactly for this. And that's without the changes in the law. Can you just imagine now when every school has a federal mandate that they have to socially transition a child and there's no requirement on them that they consult or involve or get the, the consent of their parents. This will be a massive mm. violation and derogation of parental rights as, as, federal, as a federal mandate in schools across our nation. 
Now, as I understand it, uh, there is only a very limited time for concerned parents and others to voice some action uh, in regard to these uh, proposed changes. That's right. We have till September 12th to take action. So, And the reason why is this, because they're, again, they're using the agency rulemaking process. Now, let me, let me just explain a little bit more in terms of the implications. This would have tremendous, do tremendous harm to children themselves, because what we, we know is that when, it's, when a child becomes confused or distressed about their sex, basically, and, are, and have, have developed this, this break with their sex and are asserting an imagined identity, that's, then that's, that's called socially transitioned. They want to be treated as if they actually were the opposite sex or something other than the biological sex. That is involving now social transition to using the names and program, uh, pronouns and, and being uh, looking as if they are the opposite sex. That's social transition. And when we know from a number of studies, when a child is socially transitioned and affirmed in that uh, imagined identity, very often they move then to chemical and surgical alterations to their body. These alterations very often lead uh, end in st- sterilization of the child, or infertility, or sexual long lifelong sexual dysfunction, along with a host of other uh, risks and medical impacts on the body of a developing child because it's interfering with the healthy genetic natural development of a child. We're not talking about adults, and so these have profound imp- uh, impacts on their bodies as well as numerous unknown impacts because this has never been clinically, appropriately clinically studied. It's all experimental. So our schools will become, they'll become locations of, of a massive uh, sociological and, and medical experimentation on children, again, as a federal mandate. This would be facilitating mass-scale harm on children. And then finally, what it would do to girls themselves, you know, it will harm the privacy and the safety and the sports opportunities of girls because it will appropriate our private spaces to force us to have to share it with biological males that are gender confused. Or how about our sports? We're already seeing this happening. Leah Thomas is an, is an example where now girls would be forced to compete against biological males in their own sports. And they'll run the risk of losing, you know, scholarships to biological right. males. Yeah. And so... So the, the very law that was passed to ensure that girls and women get equal, have equal opportunities will then be used to force them to forfeit their spaces and there are equal opportunities. It's really, it is, it's absolutely, it's unjust, it's inequitable. So what can we do prior to September 12th? Well, the, the, the law requires the Department of Education to receive public comments from any of their proposed changes to regulations. And that's for a period of time, which in this case ends on September 12th. We need to go on to the Federal Register and flood the Federal Register with comments for all the negative impacts that these, that this uh, uh, unauthorized change to, ta- to Title IX will have. And that would include, obviously, you know, the violation of parental rights, the harms to girls, but also how about free speech and free exercise? For instance, teachers will be forced to speak something that's untrue and how they refer to their, to their student or students may be forced to, do, to, to speak about their, uh, their peers or their teachers in a manner that may violate their 
their religious beliefs or be contrary to, to their free speech. So all of these impacts, we need to go on and to express unique comments, your own personal comment, how this will harm your family, your child, or someone in your community, maybe your parishioner as a pastor uh, or as a leader, someone, one of your constituents, or the girls in your community. And we need to do this by September 12th, because then there's two, two for two reasons, Ken. One is that we want to so flood them with hundreds of thousands of comments that it actually slows them down, because they have to, they have to respond and take into consideration the comments that they receive. If they don't do that, then they are, they are liable to be uh, invalidated in court as being arbitrary and capricious. So, uh, number one, we're going to slow them down with the possibility that a new Congress coming this year would be able to step in and stop this. But even more importantly, they're going to be sued. The states are going to sue them because of how it will violate their, their you know, people's rights and, and et cetera. When the states or private law firms the Department of Education, these comments are going to be Exhibit A in lawsuits to show that Congress never intended these harmful impacts. Congress never considered it when it passed, these, passed this law in 1972, and therefore uh, the Biden administration has violated the separation of powers in usurping the authority of Congress to change the law. And so we have, we, if we don't show up, we lose. We show up, there is good uh, authority and constitutional authority saying this is this is oversteps their their power. So that's what we need to do, and I can tell you how to do that. All right, and uh, we will uh, talk about that in the next uh, portion of our uh, chat this morning. And uh, the, but the new regulations that are, are proposed would turn uh, Title IX coordinators into federal law enforcement officials. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Uh, right now, every school has a t- has a Title IX coordinator because Title IX obviously is with us. But but the new regulations would vastly increase the power and the authority of Title IX coordinators, such that the entire school system ha- is be obligated to report to the Title IX coordinator any violation that they observe of these new regulations. So if we have a student maybe quote unquote misgendering a peer. That would have to be reported to the Title IX coordinator, and then the Title IX coordinator has tremendous authority to then take action against the alleged violator. Otherwise, federal funding will be jeopardized for that school system. Wow. Well, this is a very important topic. I want you to stay tuned. Our guest is the president and general counsel of the Child and Parental Rights Campaign, Bernadette Broyles, Esquire. We will return right here, Kale and Company Live, WKXL, and around the world, around the clock, at nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company for this Tuesday morning. Great to have you along with us. And our guest today from just outside Atlanta, Georgia, is Bernadette Broyles, Esquire. And uh, Bernadette is the President and General Counsel of the Child and Parental Rights Campaign. And uh, many changes proposed. 
by the Biden administration's U.S. Department of Education, expanding uh, Title IX to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And there's just a limited time for the public to get involved and uh, voice their views, ideas, and opinions about these proposed changes. And uh, Vernadette, what is the best way to go about that? Well, the, the Federal Register website is, is a very long and complex website. So what we decided is to make it very easy for people. And they can go on to be created a special page just for Title IX so that people can go to that. They will get the same kind of information that I just expressed with you, uh, as well as a more, le- more in-depth legal analysis that they could download. But more importantly... There is going to be there's the the button that will take you directly to the Federal Register uh, website in which you'll see very easily how to make your comment. And so that website that page we've created, uh, and, and we don't harvest anyone's emails. We don't do anything like that. We don't try to fundraise and all of this. This is strictly just for the Title IX and then to take you directly to the Federal Register. Now that website that web page that we created is uh, child parent rights, with an S at the end, uh, .org forward slash title dash nine, or I-X. And I'll say that again, child, C-H-I-L-D, parent, P-A-R-E-N-T, rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, forward slash, excuse me, I'm sorry, childparentrights.org forward slash Title, T-I-T-L-E dash I-X. That's then Roman number four, four, nine. And then so you get on there. Now there's a couple of um, also another additional resources that will help you. In addition to the button that goes directly to the Federal Register, we have something called comment starters. And let me explain that, Ken. Um, with the Federal Register, it's not like legislation. And, and again, they did what they were doing. It's not like you just call your congressman or you can cut and paste someone else's, uh, you know, concern and send it in and they tally them all up. No, not here. These have to be unique comments because if they're not, if they're just basically cookie cutter, then the DOE, Department of Education, could just ignore them or just lump them in together with a bunch of, you know, the same comments and give one response or to, to, to all of them. But when they're unique, they're your own personal story or unique evidence that you have researched, uh, or or this is really important. Ask them to, con- to ask them questions that they have to consider before they they enact these regulations. Like, what's the economic impact if you have twenty five percent of your parents pull their children out of school? By the way, funding for all our children in school is on a, is a, a per capita basis, per child basis. So when you pull your child from school, funding for federal and state gets pulled from that school system. And we've had situations where a large number of parents, they pull their child, and that had a tremendous economic impact because the school system was not being responsive to, ch- to parents' concerns. You have power with where you place your child. So... Ask them to consider the economic impact if large number of parents pull their children from the school system. So, and, and, and by having unique comments, then those will really count. Well, what we did is that we realized we can't just throw out some comments that then everyone copies. 
but we put out there something called parent uh, comment starters uh, for parents, for community leaders, for educators, or really, but any anyone can use them. There, there were documents on that site. You can download the Word document, and then it 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 prompts you with questions like, uh, explain how these regulations will impact your parental rights. And then you go on to write that. How these these regulations will harm my daughter because, and you then write your own story. These regulations will violate, will harm my child because, and write your own story. And so then you, it, it, it's all uh, easily edited. You just delete whatever you don't want. And now you have a nice comment. By the way, it's formatted properly with an with the comment number, excuse me, the regulation number at the top. So now you have your document, and as you see on the Federal Register, you can just upload it to the Federal Register from your computer uh, or from your phone, and you're done. So we, we created these to help people because we realized most people don't wake up with the knowledge of how to deal with, you know, federal rulemaking, and so we wanted to make it easy. You know, uh, I think up until this time, most people thought of Title IX, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the program, just thought about Title IX in regard to equality uh, in sports, uh, in schools and in colleges around the country. But as you mentioned, this is going to have, an, an, I mean, women, girls and women have made such strides in the world of athletics uh, since Title IX and, you know, the, the impact of these changes, should they be implemented, would be absolutely devastating. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if most people understand the impact it would have on girls' and women's sports forever. Well, it, it would be, I don't see how public schools survive this. Because imagine now that your school will follow an ideology that teaches your child they could be born in the wrong body or teach that your elementary school child or they're your middle school teenage girl who's just beginning to go through puberty, just beginning to get her period, and, and who wasn't uncomfortable with their body at that time if you're a woman? Uh, you know, almost all of us. Well, it will teach uh, young girls who are going through puberty that if you're if you're uncomfortable with your body, or you don't like the things that girls stereotypically like, then it it's probably because you're a boy. Well, first of all, that's an ideology that's categorizing children based upon regressive stereotypes. It's absolutely backward. Frankly, it's archaic. Who says that? How is it that you, in order to be a female, you have to like things that females historically have always liked? You have to like dresses. You have to like to cook. You have to like, uh, you know, home economics versus hard science. That's insulting. But that's but this ideology, essentially, that's what it's based on. It 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 it, it, it tells children if you don't do the things that other boys or girls do. You must not be a boy or girl. This is what this ideology is based on. So it, we just, and but that would become, you know, a federal mandate in school that immediately you have to, you have to support this in a child that is going through this kind of confusion. And that that does to the child is that it 
it reifies that confusion. It reinforces it. Rather than the child discovering what is underneath the distress they have with their physical given body, it reinforces the confusion. And this is all, this is all purposeful, yeah. unfortunately. And if the changes uh, are implemented, uh, it, it would affect everything. I mean, including, I, I mean, basic things like the use of bathrooms would be, yes. would be impacted, correct? It, it, that, that is correct. That's yeah. right. And, you know, how difficult is it now? For girls, many times girls, they're uncomfortable going to the, you know, the restroom that, during that time of the month with members of their own biological sex. Now, put in there this mixture of having biological male. Or how you know, when, a, when, a, when a, a boy goes to the restroom, obviously he's exposed in ways that girls aren't. There's a discomfort factor to, to mixing the biological sexes. And I want to be really clear about something, Ken, you know, because... Some listeners will say, well, isn't this just about protecting, you know, uh, gender dysphoric children? And all of us, absolutely all of us, want to protect all of our children, including children that are experiencing a type of confusion, because you know what? It's become very hard. It is hard to grow up in the Western world these days. Mm. Yep. No. There's, there, are, there, are, there are things in our culture that are becoming toxic to children's development. We have, there's, a, there's an explosion of pornography in all of our devices that are, that are creating a, a toxic environment for girls in particular. And, uh, you know, understandably, girls are, are coming to unconscious conclusion of, if being a female means that, I'm checking out, okay? Or all the messages we receive now in, in, in the culture, in entertainment, towards males and what it means to be a male, and that is becoming toxic. So we have to understand our children are under historic distress. And we can come and talk about that or, or well, in any case, that's what the situation is. But we want to protect all children, but we don't want to do it by confusing them and, and conflating the sexes and, and, and harming girls' opportunities. Well, if you would like to express your thoughts on this matter again, the... Uh Website is childparentrights.org backslash title dash IX for title. Forward slash. Uh, what's that? Forward slash. Forward slash yeah. uh, title dash IX. And we'll repeat that uh, before the end of the show today. And uh, Bernadette Broyles, thank you so much for being with us. We uh, appreciate all the information you've provided this morning. Well, thank you for having me. All right, our pleasure. Bernadette Broyles, Esquire, President and General Counsel of a Child and Parental Rights Campaign. We'll be back and uh, talk a little UNH football. Off to a good start for the season. We'll do that right after these words. Kale and Company Live, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare go away. It is Kale and Company Live. It's a Tuesday. I know it feels like a Monday for most people. Right here at WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond. Around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. And we welcome back to Kale and Company the head football coach at the University of New Hampshire in his first full season as the official uh, head coach at UNH, Rick Santos. Rick, uh, welcome back, and 
congratulations on your come-from-behind 31-21 victory over Monmouth on Thursday night. Thanks, Ken. Really appreciate you having me again. Look forward to, to catching up. It's going to be great. Well, uh, it's uh, a privilege to have you uh, on the show and talk about uh, what happened on uh, Thursday night. It was a come-from-behind victory. Uh, what did you take away from that game? Well, I thought our guys had a, a lot of resolve, a lot of mental toughness. You know, there was obviously some, some glaring things we, we need to clean up if we're going to win consistency consistently in this conference. But I think overall, when you find a way to make plays in the fourth quarter uh, and finish a great team, you know, finish off a great team like Monmouth, you know, there's definitely some teachable moments there that we can pull from. So excited to, to get the win, obviously, especially now that that was a, a conference game. So to go 1-0 in the conference is exactly what we were hoping to do. And uh, they are a, a very good team, Monmouth, uh, and a uh, very good quarterback, too, and Tony Muscat uh, with a strong arm, and uh, he, he's had a, a good career at, at Monmouth, but uh, I, I thought uh, the secondary played pretty well. They really did. You know, give credit to Coach Garrett Gillick, our defensive coordinator. Uh, that was his first game that he officially called, so he did a tremendous job having the guys fired up, motivated, ready to go. Um, and our defensive secondary, did a really good job all night disguising coverages. We threw uh, a few different wrinkles uh, at Tony and them on this offense that they hadn't seen before. So, you know, really good job by our guys making plays when the ball was in the air. We thought, you know, those 50-50 contested plays was going to be a key factor to the game. And I felt like we made, we made those consistent, consistently on both sides of the ball. You know, and one player in particular, Randall Harris, on the defensive backfield really stood out, obviously having that that game feeling interception return for a touchdown, you know, was was the dagger to, to get the win. So what what did you say to the uh, to the UNH supporters on hand right right after that game was wrapped up? What did you you turn around to them and, and say? It just feels good to be back in the winning circle. You know, we worked extremely hard to get back to this this point. Um, you know, our, our guys give credit to the players all offseason. They were hungry. You know, the way we finished last year, we didn't feel like that was up to the standards and the expectations that had been set by the elite coaches and players that, that came before all of us. So um, it's just it's a privilege to play in this program. Um, we don't take that lightly. And, and every single week we need to show up so we can put a, a great product on the field for our fan base. Did, did you say something to, to the effect of uh, never flinch, never flinch? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did, yeah. That was, that was kind of our, our moment. We thought going into the game it was going to be a heavyweight bout. Um, you know, we knew we were gonna we were gonna get knocked around a little bit, and we took their best punch early. Um, and we didn't we didn't flinch, we didn't waver. Um, and that that's one of our things. One of our core values this year is toughness. You know, effort, accountability, and toughness. And the really part of that is having the the mental toughness, the mental fortitude when adversity hits in a football game, which inevitably it's gone in every single one, whether you're winning or losing. Do you have the ability to look deep down? You know, to look to your brother, to look to your guys and your team. You know, and say, I'm going to be the reason we're going to win this one. I'm going to make a play. I'm going to step up. I'm going to do a little bit extra to make sure that, that we can ultimately get get the W. Yeah, very satisfying victory. But as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, as always with, you know, football coaches, uh, you know, no matter, you know, how many games you win, uh, how much you win by, there are always things, as you mentioned, to clean up. Uh, what has to be cleaned up from Thursday's win? Uh, well, <clears throat> on offense, we've got to do a better job on first down. You know, too many uh, like five-yard pre-snap penalties. You know, we, we put the offense in obvious passing situations way too much. Um, defensively, we did a really good job creating turnovers, but ultimately when they when Monmouth got down to the red zone, 
you know, we got to limit those touchdowns and got to hold them to three. So got to buckle down a little bit there in the red area. Um, and then, you know, I, and I think we got we to run the ball a little bit better. I think that was more of a product of the flow of the game, you know, us being down a little bit and then obviously us not being as efficient as we needed to, you know. So, um, but I, I will give credit to the offensive line, you know. It was, it was very obvious when we were going to have to throw it, and they did a really good job of in pass protection. We only had one sack, um, and ultimately I don't even think that was their fault. The ball probably could have came out a little sooner. And the running game worked pretty well as, as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, we got the two touchdowns on the ground, um, and it, it, was, it was pretty efficient. You know, it's just we're hopefully, you know, against a really tough Albany team this week, you know, we're going to have to establish the ground game a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, getting those, Dylan Lobby was, was tremendous, you know, nearly 150 all-purpose yards. He's kind of our Swiss Army knife, did it on the ground, had some receiving yards, and obviously he's a dynamic uh, punt returner as well. The team did something that, that you very rarely see, doesn't happen very often, scored touchdowns in all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. Yeah, you know, we, we made a huge concerted effort this uh, this fall camp on special teams. So, you know, our motto is we care more. You know, a lot of times it's everybody puts the onus on offense and defense, um, and in particular, you know, the skill guys, you know, want to get their stats and their accolades on their individual unit. But if we can get the guys to, to believe that those hidden yards are what's going to win you football games, and ultimately we have a, a chance to be a, a very good football team, you know, give credit to our special teams coordinator, Garrick McLaughlin. He's taken the lion's share of the, the game plan and responsibility. Uh, he did a tremendous job having our guys fired up. And, you know, you look at a guy like Josiah Silver, freshman All-American, we know how, how good he is at the defensive end position, you know, but we put our best players on special teams too. That's another thing we want our guys to understand. Like if we're going to win consistently, our best guys have to want to do it. And the fact that Josiah had the, had that block, um, you know, shows you how important it is for us. And, and Charles Briscoe, you know, being a starting receiver here in the past was the one that scooped and scored for a touchdown. And of course, uh, now it's on Saturday night to Albany to take on the great Danes. And uh, what do you know about them? Oh, they're they're tough. They're physical. Extremely well coached. Uh, they've had our number, to be honest, Ken, over the last handful of years. You know, I think we're one of five in the last six games, so we're very cognizant of that. Um, you know, there's no easy wins in this conference, um, and and it's certainly the case this week. You know, their their defensive line physically imposing. You know, they got a guy AJ Lang who plays their stand up defensive end that's done it at a high level for for the last three years. They got a transfer in there, AJ Simon from Bloomsburg, who is super dynamic and twitchy. Can rush the passer. They're very stout at the second level, um, and then they're a bend but don't break defense. They feel like they can they can control the run, you know, with their four down guys and their linebackers. So they don't play much man. They play a lot of zone coverage. You know, they're going to make you be efficient and, and march the length of the field. Um, so they want to limit their mistakes on defense, and then offensively. You know, they have some new guys in there, some transfers who are extremely dynamic. You know, Julian Hicks is a receiver from Akron. After turning on the tape against Baylor, he didn't look out of place there. I mean, he had a touchdown. He was running by guys at that level. So he's got elite speed, you know, and um, quarterback has been a question mark for them the last couple of years. But they brought in transfer, you know, Reese Poffenbar, who is as athletic as the guys we're going to see. He can, fly, he can run around, got really good vision. Um, you know, obviously the stats were – weren't what they wanted to be, but I think it was just because they, they got physically outmatched a little bit by, you know, obviously very talented Baylor team. But it was evident that he's an extremely good player, has huge upside. 
We've got to keep him contained. Um, and then they got a big bruising running back, a transfer from Pitt as well, who, you know, we got to keep him inside and front and be physical with him all night. How did your team uh, come through the game physically on Thursday? Any any injuries to report? No, just just the normal, you know, nicks and, and bruises. Uh, for the most part, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to keep our guys, you know, out of the next week, which is great. Uh, that 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 is great, and and you know, I know you you were the interim head coach uh, a few seasons ago when uh, Sean McDonald was out, uh, but now you are you are the guy. So how how did it feel to win that that first game as the head coach of uh, UNH football? It felt great. It was it was an incredible moment. You know, I hugged my mom and my wife after and kind of shed a tear a little bit. Um, just all the hard work that goes into it. You know, this program has has been. You know, nearly my entire life and helped me kind of grow up in the maturation process from from a boy to a young man to, to now having the opportunity to lead lead our young men in this program um, come full circle here. So it, it felt really great. Well, Rick, uh, congratulations again on that first victory. Uh, best wishes on uh, Saturday night, and we hope to catch up with you uh, again next week here on the program. Would love to. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate the time. All right, Rick. Thank you. Rick Santos, head coach of the UNH Wildcats 1-0 football team, going to the state capital of New York on Saturday night to take on the Great Danes at the University of Albany. And it'll be fun to uh, catch up with Rick on the program each week here on uh, Kale and Company Live on WKXL and NH Talk Radio. We are going to cruise into a break right now, and uh, we will be back with more. So don't you dare touch that dial. Kale and Company Live. Don't forget, it's Tuesday. I know it feels like a Monday, but it feels like fall now, doesn't it? There was some fall in the air over the weekend. We don't want to rush the season at all. But I will tell you this, that public ice skating is returning this week to the Everett Arena, Monday through Friday, 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sunday hours will be 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. And Saturday hours are going to begin in October, on uh, October 8th, and will also take place from 11.30 to 1 p.m. Admission, uh, $6 and free Free skating for ages uh, three and under at the Everett Arena. Skate rentals will be available for $6 at the Arena's Pro Shop. And ice skating lessons as well, which I could use, uh, will be offered by uh, Concord Parks and Recreation with registration starting in October. And the ice skating will continue through March 16th. You know, uh, there are probably people who are under the incorrect perception uh, that that because I uh, did hockey games on the radio for many years for the uh, the Manchester Monarchs that I I, I must be you know a, a pretty good skater right that's not true at all <laughs> in fact uh, you know it's been a long time since I've skated last time I skated was actually on a cruise a Mediterranean cruise on a ship that had a rink. So it's been a while. But, I, you know, I'd like to get back out there because it would be good exercise. And, uh, you know, 11.30 to 1 is a good time for me. That's a, that's a great time. And you see, I, and I've seen people going in 
Uh, I drive by the Everett Arena quite a bit. And, of course, I'm there during the winter doing some uh, Concord High hockey games on their on their Facebook page. But I see people going in 11.30 to 1 uh, every day uh, at the Everett Arena when the rink is open. And, uh, you know, why not? It's a good time. Maybe I'll get a pair of skates and you know, lace them up. I, I, I did play hockey, but very poorly at, uh, at one time. Uh, never good enough to pursue any kind of a hockey career, even in high school. You know, I was kind of out of it by the end of uh, junior high. My hockey career on the ice uh, actually ended. So I played some street, ho- street hockey after that. But uh, So, you know, you, you sometimes if you don't keep up, you, you know, you lose those skills. It's like, you know, I took piano lessons too, but I, I couldn't sit down now and, and play the piano. So, you know, maybe I'll get back into it. It'd be kind of fun. And good exercise too. Good exercise. That's probably... Uh, the, the big reason that would drive me to do it. But uh, the skating available at the Everett Arena starting this week, 11.30 to 1, Monday through Friday, Sunday, uh, 5.30 to 7.30. So take advantage of it. Kids under three are free. And uh, get out there and uh, take advantage of the great facility that the Everett Arena is in uh, Concord, right on uh, Loudon Road. It's going to be a big car show coming up. This Saturday at Memorial Field Park in Pembroke, the event is free, open to the public, many cars on display for car owners to vote on, and the public to vote for their people's choice. It's going to be an overall uh, best of show vehicle. The car show will have 15 categories of cars, which are peer voting, and will also have 15 privately judged awards for the best cars in many categories such as a classic, foreign, best Ford, best Chevy, best Mopar, and a special interest car. Uh, to compete with a car, it's only a $10 uh, per car donation. And a Southern New Hampshire Snow Slicker Incorporated maintains all the trails throughout Bearbrook State Park and Pawtuckaway State Park and the uh, Massabesic Tower Hill Pond area for snowmobile travel and multi-use travel, such as Bikes, horses, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, walking, running. The state uh, does offer grants to organizations to perform this work, but the group must be able to supply the 25% that is required to accept the uh, 75% grant in aid. So, uh, check it out. It's going to be a great day at the Memorial Field Park in Pembroke coming up on this Saturday Check out all those uh, classic cars that will be uh, on display at, uh, at that time. So uh, just a, a word to you about a couple of the events coming up in our area. Uh, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham says he has told former President Donald Trump that he stands a chance of winning, that is Trump, in the 2024 election if he chooses Uh, to run again. Lindsey Graham spoke to CNBC on Saturday over the weekend and said Trump has a pretty good chance of re-election. Graham told uh, CNBC, and I quote, I'm literally telling you what I tell him. If you lose again, the history about who you are and what you did dramatically changes. If you come back, it'll be one of the greatest political comebacks in American history. 
And if you get four more years, you can do big stuff. End quote. Lindsey Graham added, per CNBC, that Trump might see 2024 as a chance to start over and show voters, even those who don't like him, and there are many of those out there, that he could accomplish some things as president. I've always thought, and I think this about some people, but in particular, uh, someone as high profile as uh, Donald Trump, I think in many cases, you know, I think Donald Trump accomplished a lot and did a lot of good things uh, in his four years as president of the United States. But I think there's there's one thing that uh, stands out, and that is that Donald Trump can be his own worst enemy. You know, regardless of what he did accomplish, and he did wonders at the border. You see what's happening now uh, with the border crisis that is completely uh, out of control. Uh, nothing is being done about the border right now. And fentanyl is coming into this country like it never has before. It's a disgrace what the uh, Biden administration has done as far as the border is concerned, many other things as well. Uh, and and Trump was you know in the process of building the wall, and uh, walls will help. They're not the be-all and end-all, but the, certainly they will help in the situation that we have now. Uh, Graham said his problem is personal, he said of Trump. His policies have stood the test of time, but, and here it comes, he has worn the American people out in terms of his personality. Time will tell, says Lindsey Graham. And it's so true. I mean, Trump did so many great things. The economy was great. Uh, And I I still, I will, you know, to this day, and I, I will continue to say it to whoever listens, that Donald Trump would still be president of the United States today were it not for COVID. And that's uh, that's the way I feel about it. I mean, uh, you know, Trump, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how any any president uh, would have handled the, the COVID-19 situation, but there were times when uh, Donald Trump said some, like, like the bleach thing stands out, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, in terms of battling COVID-19 with bleach. I, I mean, and I, maybe he meant it in a tongue-in-cheek way or just trying to be funny, but it didn't work. And, and some of the things that, that took place during that stretch of time when he was president during COVID-19, uh, because nobody knew how to deal with COVID-19 at the time. But Trump, through Operation, Operation Warp Speed, you know, got the vaccine out there very quickly, uh, in in a, a time that no one thought was possible, I mean, even you know, Dr. Fauci and all the uh, quote unquote medical experts at the time said, "Oh, it's going to take a good three to five years to get a COVID nineteen vaccine." Well, Donald Trump got it done in about six months. I mean, it was Don, not Donald Trump alone, but he was the driving force. It was all the uh, the great doctors and researchers who uh, got the vaccine out there, but with the prompting and the urgency of Donald Trump. And uh, who knows if if Trump was not president at that time, if the vaccine would have gotten out as quickly. I mean, we'll never know that. That's all speculation at this point. But Trump did a lot of good things when he was president. But again, you know, he put his foot in his mouth any number of times. And and I don't know. I I mean, I 
I like Trump as uh, as a leader. I think he gets things done. I think he, uh, for the most part, tells the truth. And some people don't like the truth. Some people want things to be sugarcoated. Uh, Trump will never do do that. Uh, but uh, you know whether he should be at the head of the ticket in 2024 for the Republican Party. Uh, I have my doubts whether he should be the guy. Uh, he likes to be a kingmaker. Maybe that's the way it should remain. And we'll see what happens. So there you go. Lindsey Graham uh, also appeared to warn this weekend that Trump might lose to President Biden in 2024 if he didn't manage his personality a little bit better. Quipping, if it's a personality contest, he'll be in trouble. So there you go. Donald Trump, his own worst enemy. Come on, Don. You can do better. That'll do it. Kale and company. Hey, we'll talk about uh, clean water in New Hampshire tomorrow on the program. And this program will be repeated tonight at 7 o'clock if you missed it or if you'd just like to hear it again. Thanks to Kat for another great job behind the scenes. See you tomorrow. Bright and early, just a little after 8 o'clock here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com.